mindfulness mode. Reading is such a powerful activity. It does bring you to the present moment. It is a mindful activity. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is about reading. And you know, I read a lot of books, and I really enjoy that. But have you ever read a book and thought, well, I just loved the book, but did I really implement the things that they told me to do in this book? Because, you know, we can go through a lot of books and then not necessarily do a lot of the things that are suggested in there. And that's what we're talking about today. And my guest has written a book that's pretty fantastic called Rise of the Reader. And I'll tell you the subtitle of the book later, but I'm really excited to have my guest Nick Hutchison on the show today. Hey, Nick, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am in mindfulness mode, and I'm excited for the conversation. Yeah, me too. So what does mindfulness mean to you, Nick? Well, I'll tell you what. The first time I read mindfulness as a word was probably 2016, 2017. I read Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And in that book, Tim interviews some of the world's most successful people in every discipline. And he said amongst those people that he'd interviewed, the vast majority of them had some form of daily mindfulness practice. And so mindfulness, as defined by that book and also probably by me, is a return to the present moment. It's awareness. It's, you know, kind of the return to breath, meditation, focus. And that's still how I think about it today. That's really interesting because that's that's kind of how I started my podcast. I was listening to a lot of episodes of Entrepreneur on Fire by John Lee Dumas. And uh, I noticed that some of the most successful people on that show were people that talked about some aspect of mindfulness. They had meditation practice or they had some way of staying calm and cool no matter what they were doing. And I thought, hey, there's not much out there. This is back in 2015. There wasn't much out there on the topic of mindfulness. So I thought I'm going to start a podcast on this. So that's interesting that you said that. So then how did you get into this area where you're just specifically helping people with books and reading and the whole concept of of really absorbing what you're reading? Well, when I was growing up, I was not very mindful. I was not very aware. Uh, You couldn't pay me to read a personal development book or to sit down and focus on my breath or anything like that. Uh, All of that changed for me when I was going into my senior year of college at the University of New Hampshire. And I was a business student. I took a sales internship at a local software company. And my boss, Kyle, recognized very quickly that I had some unfulfilled potential. (laughs) And so I was commuting about an hour each way in the car, so 10 hours a week in the car. And I remember Kyle took me on a couple of local sales trips and he would put on business podcasts and we would talk about the concepts in these shows. And so I started to reframe the idea of personal development. It went from something that maybe like strict kind of accountant type business people do to something that cool, refreshing business people do. And so I started to listen to shows on my commute. And I would listen to all types of shows just like you did, including Entrepreneurs on Fire and the Tim Ferriss podcast, the Tim Ferriss show. And what I realized very quickly was that so many of the people being interviewed, the successful people, they were giving at least some credit for their success to the books that they had read. Totally. And so I just sort of had this moment where I realized, 
if I was deliberately choosing not to read the books that were being recommended to me by these successful people through the podcasts, then I was also deliberately choosing to live under my potential and choose to live a life that was less successful. And so I went to my local Barnes and Noble, I grabbed a bunch of books and the rest is history. I started sharing online and the community started growing and yeah, now I, I definitely love the power of personal development books. Well, tell me about your online uh, people that you connect with. Well, back then, 2017 was probably the first time I posted on Instagram and Facebook. I just started sharing the books I was reading as a way to connect with like-minded people because there weren't a lot of personal development style readers in my friend group or anything like that. And what I realized very quickly was that this planet is full of people who love learning, lifelong learners, people who are mindful and pay attention to what they're consuming in life. And as that community started to grow, mostly on Instagram, it's called Book Thinkers, I would receive the same questions over and over and over again. Questions about, hey, Nick, how do I choose the right book? Or, hey, Nick, do you have a recommendation to solve this problem? Hey, Nick, how do I take effective notes? Or how do I retain more from the books I'm reading? How do I take better action? And so as I started to receive all of these questions, I realized that there was a demand for a resource, which I've become, that can help solve those problems for people. I don't think we're taught how to effectively retain and implement information in the traditional public school systems. Definitely not in the US, probably not in Canada. And so it's a very kind of unique thing, right? I'm serving people who know that they want more out of life and they're leveraging books and podcasts to close that gap but there's still an issue around retention and implementation. And so today that community on Instagram has about 150,000 followers, another 50,000 across the other socials. We also have a podcast where we interview authors. And so my whole life now has become focused around this subject. Right, your podcast is called Book Thinkers, life-changing books. So tell me about yeah. some of the interesting episodes that you've had recently on your podcast. Well, you know what? When I first started the show, I thought to myself, I wonder if I can go out and interview all of my favorite authors. Because sometimes you finish a great book and you're left wanting more. There are some unanswered questions. And so I said, well, now that I have a little bit of social media credibility, I wonder if I could go out and get the attention of some of these people. Invite them on my show as an opportunity to do a deep dive on their book and introduce the book and the author to my audience. And uh, instead of doing that in a solo environment, right, a coaching session, why not open up that, co that coaching session to the public? And so I've been able to interview so many of my favorite authors, people like Grant Cardone, Lewis Howes, Robin Sharma, Alex Hormozzi, Ryan Holiday, Robert Greene, Vanessa Van Edwards, and the list goes on. Most recently, and this episode isn't out yet, I don't think, but we just interviewed Matt Higgins. Matt Higgins wrote a book called Burn the Boats. And he's been a guest shark on Shark Tank a couple of times. I know the Canadian version is titled something slightly different than that. And Kevin Dragon's on Den, yeah. Yeah, Dragon's Den. And a uh, fascinating human being. Somebody who came from abject poverty and was able to create quite a life for himself, investing in companies and starting companies, um, leading sports teams and being a guest on Shark Tank. But he talks all about going out there, after your dreams, making something of yourself. And funny enough, we talk quite a bit about transcendental meditation, which is 
his form of mindfulness, something that I also practice. Ah, tell us about your practice of meditation. What does it look like? Well, that's changed quite a bit over the years as well. So I started meditating maybe about eight years ago, mm -hmm. and I started by downloading the Headspace app. And I would follow the guided meditations on there, and I was pretty consistent. I remember at my best stretch, I did 100 meditations in a row, like 100 days in a row, yeah. consecutively meditating for a minimum of 10 minutes. And I've tried all sorts of things. I've tried the Muse biofeedback, neural feedback device. Uh, I've tried other apps and things like that. I've tried just silence. But I interviewed an author earlier this year, Adam Hergenrother. And Adam introduced me to transcendental meditation. TM is sort of an ancient meditation practice. It's the absence of thought. You're not focused on breath. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different than traditional meditation is. And so I went, I, I took a four-day course. Um, I was given my, my mantra. And what you're supposed to do if you follow transcendental meditation is two 20-minute meditations per day. And I'm not perfectly consistent with that, I'll admit, but uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about myself, thinking about thinking or in the absence of thought. And that's created a lot of peace in my life. Yeah, that's fantastic. Very, very interesting. Well, the subtitle of your book, I told you, Mindful Tribe, I would tell you what it was. The subtitle is Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn. So what is the trick? It seems so easy to read a book and feel good about it at the time, but then not actually implement any of the strategies they're talking about. What's the secret? How can we change that? I think the secret is taking action, baking action into your goal for each book. I mean, I cover dozens and dozens of different strategies throughout the book, but I always go back to this quote that I read recently. It's from Napoleon Hill. It says, action is the real measure of intelligence. So when I first started my reading journey, I was optimizing for the wrong things. 26 books a year, 52 books a year, 100 books in a year. But that's a vanity metric. It doesn't move the needle. It doesn't get us closer to where we know we can go in life. And so what I started to think about was action. How do I optimize for action? So we'll pause and uh, I'll give you an example based on maybe one of your favorite books. So I'd love to hear, Bruce, could you tell us some of your favorite books of all time? Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. I like that book. Okay. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but here's what I would do if I was reading The Surrender Experiment. I would read the front cover, the back cover. Maybe I would read a few reviews on Amazon. I'd get a good understanding of what the book is about. And then I would set a SMART goal. So for anybody that's not familiar with it, SMART is an acronym that stands for specific, measurable, attainable, meaning a realistic goal, relevant, meaning you're emotionally connected to the goal, so you'll kind of stick with it, and time-bound. You want to give yourself a deadline for taking action. So if I was to read the surrender experiment, I would probably set a goal like this. Find and implement at least two strategies for surrender you know, in my daily life, like building a new routine or something like that by the end of November. So that goal is specific. It's measurable. Find and implement at least two strategies for surrender. It's attainable. I think if you try to implement more than a handful of things from a book, it becomes unrealistic to take action. Sometimes we get overwhelmed and as a result, we don't do anything. 
As far as relevance, I think it's extremely important. I know that for me, I've struggled with control. I always want to be in control. And so surrender would probably bring me a lot of benefits. So I'm emotionally connected to making it happen. And T, time bound, the end of November, I want to give myself a deadline to take action. And so what I'll do with that intention, that smart goal for the book, is I'll write it right on the inside cover. And I'll review it each and every time I read another chapter. So I'm telling my brain what to filter for. It's almost like sharing your goal with the book so that your brain's RAS function, the natural highlighter in our brains, can share the goal back with us. It'll jump off the page. Like That's one of those strategies for surrender that I can implement. And so right from the get-go, by building that goal, I'm sort of optimizing for action. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense, Nick. Thank you so much for that because it really, it really is uh, material that I can apply right away. I want to ask you about digital books because you mentioned about jotting something inside the front cover and I love getting my hands on an actual book where I can do that, but it's not always easy. What are your feelings and thoughts about reading a digital book? It's been growing on me. Uh, funny enough, my one of my mentors, Kevin Horsley, he's the author of a book titled Unlimited Memory, brilliant guy. He says that reading a physical paper book is sort of like using an old map instead of a GPS to go from A to B in your car. <laughs> because the Kindle or an e-reader has so many additional functions, such as highlighting right on the screen and exporting your notes, the ability to type your notes right in there, uh, look up definitions in real time, and they weigh a lot less, right? You could travel with more books. Now, I still prefer physical paper books. As you can see behind me, I have about a thousand of them, um, but I'm trying to get more into the Kindle right now. So my tip would be one of two things, actually one of three things. A, write your intention on a sticky note, stick it on the back of the e-reading device. And every time you read another chapter, just flip it over and reread that intention. I think number two is you could write it on the, the notes section on your phone. And sometimes that's what I'll do with audiobooks. But I do try to stay away from the device. I think sometimes we can get distracted with notifications on our cell phone and get sucked away from the reading experience. Or number three, carry a yellow legal pad around with you like I do and write your intention you know, sort of on that third party piece of paper. Oh, those are good suggestions. I want to ask you about your marketing agency. Who is the most ideal customer for you to deal with in your agency? So over time, what actually, I'll, I'll kind of give the backstory, some additional context here. As I was building my community, online book thinkers, authors started to reach out to me and they'd say, hey, Nick, can I pay you to review my book? And I thought, well, that's interesting. I mean, number one, I'm reading for free right now. So the idea of getting paid to read, that's pretty cool. That's like a dream job. But number two, if I start to follow the clues, why are they reaching out to me? Why do they need to sell their book on Instagram? I thought all you had to do was write a book and then it would sell a bazillion copies. So as I started to follow up with these authors and offer to get on calls and stuff, I realized that selling a book is very hard work and nobody's really figured out how to do it on social media. And so I would get involved. I would try out all sorts of things with the authors that I was working with when I was doing book reviews. We would try placing them on podcasts, helping them create content and everything in between. So today, my agency, we have 10 people on the team, and we serve about 200 authors a year. We help them promote and market their books. So who's the ideal customer? A mission-driven personal development author, somebody who's writing this book so that they can positively impact the reader. It could be related to health, 
wealth or happiness or any combination of those things. And we love to amplify the messages of good people. Now, in a perfect scenario, that author has some other things in their ecosystem. The book isn't a standalone product. If people read it and they want to get more interested, or they, they are now more interested in getting involved with the author, that author has some higher ticket complimentary products and services available, like coaching, consulting, speaking, courses, things like that. Wow. And that's the ideal person that I serve, a mission-driven author who has a full ecosystem built out around their book. It sounds like you're really doing what you truly love every single day. Yes, I am. That's My definition for happiness, I suppose, or success, what I optimize for in a broad sense is enjoying the passage of time. That's what I want to do. I want to do more of what I enjoy and less of what I don't enjoy. And so, yeah, I'm very happy as a result of doing what I love to do. That's absolutely. That's awesome. Nick, I always ask a question on my podcast about the topic of bullying because I've worked in this field for a long time and I know that it's very connected to mindfulness. Do you have a story that you can share with us about bullying of some kind where maybe mindfulness would have made a difference? Well, I'll tell you what, I interviewed an author so I'll give a third party story. I interviewed an author today at my house. His name is Efren Delgado, former FBI special agent, actually. He just wrote a book called The Opposite is True. And his book kicks off with a story about being bullied. He was in second grade, but he was the youngest of all second graders in his class. And he was pretty small. He would get picked on a lot. And so he kicks off the book by telling a story where he's shoved to the ground and he got really hurt. He looked up and the bullies almost felt bad. Like they were concerned. Did they hurt him too much this time? And he talks about that was the first time he ever became aware of this question. Why do good people choose to do bad things? And, you know, sometimes you could say your purpose comes from your pain. So he got into law enforcement, national security and FBI work so that he could protect people that were in the similar position of being bullied, whether it's from a terrorism perspective or anything below that. And so he talked a lot about mindfulness. He talked a lot about his ability to slow things down and operate from a place of logic instead of emotion. And I thought it was a really, really interesting story, that first time becoming aware and asking himself that question and not reacting with emotion, not emoting negativity, but slowing things down and operating from a place of logic instead. That is interesting. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Nick. I want to move forward in the interview by asking you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Tim Ferriss, author of The 4-Hour Workweek, but also the book that I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, which is Tools of Titans. I think that if I hadn't read Tools of Titans, I don't know if I ever would have started practicing mindfulness on a daily basis, but as a result of that book, I have. And Tim also talks about trying transcendental meditation and all sorts of other things that he's, he's experimented with, and I owe a lot to him in that book. Yeah, he's an amazing man, that's for sure. I want to ask you about emotions and how mindfulness has helped you to deal with your emotions differently. 
Well, just like the story I mentioned before with Efren, I know that when I was younger, I was very emotionally reactive. And that behavior sort of continued into my late teens and early 20s. I would get angry, right? An input would go into my brain and I would react. I would have a default reaction. And sometimes it would get me in trouble. It wasn't always so positive. But as I've continued to grow in my mindfulness practices and meditations, I've been able to increase the space between the input to my brain and my reaction. I can default to a place of logic. I can process before reacting. And so, yeah, I'm a little bit less emotional than I was. I'm a little bit more logical today than I was back then as well. And mindfulness is the reason that that's happened. Right. Do you have any comments on breathing that you can share with us that maybe is related to mindfulness? Absolutely. Well, I do practice the Wim Hof method. It's a breathing exercise every single day. I try to do it every single day. It's not perfect, <laughs> but absolutely. I mean, I've heard people define meditation as the return to breath. So when everything's chaotic, just in through your nose, out through your mouth. And I know that from a scientific perspective, if your exhale is longer than your inhale, you'll slow your heart rate down. And so I try to use those strategies sometimes. Yeah, I do too. I do Wim Hof every day as well. And I really appreciate oh, I it. it. It's so awesome. What's your average breath hold? Oh, uh, it's usually about in the two minute range. I don't try to push myself too hard with it. So it's not not huge or anything, but I just find that just the the daily practice of doing it just really helps me to stay grounded and to feel really good. Me too. How about too. you? What's your average? Right now it's about two minutes. I've had individual breath holds well over three minutes before, but I, I don't try to push it too hard. Yeah, yeah. My next question is about a book, and you've already mentioned several books. Are there any other books that you want to mention that you haven't? We, you know, I want to mention, of course, once again, your book, Rise of the Reader, and I would highly recommend that, Mindful Tribe. Yes. I mean, I have so many recommendations related to mindfulness. Yeah. I'll mention a couple quickly. Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Okay. There's a, a line in there where the main character says, I can think, I can fast, and I can wait, or something like that, as his differentiating skill sets. And I just thought, well, that's really interesting. Most people can't think, right? They just react. Most people can't fast. They jump into their hunger or whatever. They, they satiate themselves. And they can't wait. They're always in a hurry. So I just thought that was a really interesting one. And I'll throw one more out there. I love Life's Amazing Secrets by the Indian monk Gaur Gopaldas. And one of my favorite quotes from that book, he says, it's not happy people that are grateful, but it's grateful people that are happy. So what he's saying is that gratitude is the input. It's the action that creates happiness as the output. So I just, I love that book too. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Thank you so much, for, Nick, for sharing that. Do you always memorize a quote or two from every book you read? I don't, but I try to take action on every book that I read. And as a result, when I'm taking action, I, you know, it sort of increases retention. Um, but yeah, I've got a lot of quotes stored up here. That's, for That's sure. fantastic. Okay. My last question is about an app. Are there any apps at all that you recommend related to this topic? Absolutely. I use the one sec app. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. So every time I click Instagram, maybe I'll, I'll just do this on the screen for everybody. Okay. So if I click Instagram here, watch what happens. It 
says, oh, it's time to take a breath. And it makes me breathe in. Okay. Oh, look and then at it makes that. me breathe out. And, it, and then it provides me some data and some options. So it says right here, attempts to open Instagram within the last 24 hours, eight. Last used 45 minutes ago. And then you have two options. I don't want to actually use Instagram or continue to Instagram. And so what that does is it slows down the impulse. When I impulsively open Instagram in that kind of minute of boredom, and then it gets me to refocus, focus on my breath, and actually ask myself, do I really want to use this app right now? And oftentimes I don't. So I used to, <laughs> first time I downloaded it, I would try to open Instagram like 50 times a day. And now it's just, as you saw, it's just a couple times. Oh, that's really cool. I have not heard of that app at all. So I'll, I'm going to check that out. And uh, one last thing, and this isn't part of our quick answer section, but I do want to ask you about your mindfulness related ink. I noticed on your arm earlier that you have some ink going on there. So tell us about that. I have tons of tattoo options for us to explore, but I'll mention one and then we can go from there. So I have this tattoo on my wrist that says ataraxia, which in ancient Greek sort of stands for stillness. Okay. So after I read Ryan Holiday's book, Stillness is the Key, I started to focus on that word ataraxia. And now whenever I feel myself emotionally reacting to something, I can just look at this tattoo and be reminded of the importance of stillness. I mean, I've literally tattooed it on my body and that brings me back to the present moment. It brings me back to my breath and it slows things down and lets logic enter the room. And so, like I said, I've got plenty, but that's one example of tattooing myself in a positive and beneficial way. So every one of your tattoos has a special meaning in that kind of way. Is that right? Uh, yes, absolutely. Oh, that's really interesting. Well, it has been fantastic to talk to you today. Really cool to get to know you a little bit, Nick. And as we wrap up the interview, do you have any final words of advice for our listeners? Well, I'll throw an offer out there. If anybody listening or watching today would like a custom book recommendation from me, it's my favorite thing to do. Just DM me at bookthinkers on Instagram. And tell me about a problem that you're facing or a skill that you want to develop. And I might ask some follow-up questions, but I will provide a custom book recommendation to you. I love playing this like book matchmaker role because I genuinely believe that the right book at the right time can change somebody's life. Now, especially if they use the implementation techniques that I have in this book, but reading is such a powerful activity. It does bring you to the present moment. It is a mindful activity. And I would encourage everybody that's listening or watching today to read a good book sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. I would recommend that too. Thanks for writing your book. Thanks for doing what you do. And thanks for being on the Mindfulness Mode podcast, Nick. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. I appreciate the conversation and the opportunity. Great. Bye now. Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening once again today. And I will tell you, Nick sent me a signed copy of his book and have I ever enjoyed it. It is really a well-written book, so many great ideas and thoughts, and it's just so valuable. It really is. And I just want to ask you a favor, Mindful Tribe. If you've had a chance to get the book, maybe you've got the, the digital copy or the actual hard copy or whatever, would you go and leave a review on Amazon for Nick? I'm really impressed with Nick. And if you could leave a review for him, I'm sure that would be very much appreciated by Nick. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.